0: Spoiler, at the end of the series, Peggy finds out that Julio is actually her son and they get a house together. Mad Men, a term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Are you ready? Because I want you to pay attention. This is the beginning of something. Welcome to They Coined It, Season (laughs) 7. I'm Roberta Lip.
1: I'm Dan Jasper. And we
0: cover Mad Men episode by episode. And how about the new music? Thank you, Adam Tilford. Pretty great. I love it. Sounds awesome. We're groovy now. If you would like to support the show, patreon.com slash theycoineditpod, extra... Bonus mini episodes and early drops of this episode.
1: We just did our best. They joined it ever
0: at the end of last season. Of we ago. did. Yeah,
1: it was fabulous. It
0: was, and you can you can be part of that.
1: Okay, so this is our last. Well, te- technically not our last season premiere.
0: Well, yeah, both technically sort and not of, technically. Kinda, yeah,
1: but let's call it let's call it the last season premiere for now.
0: Every other season has been 13 episodes. Season 7, they did 7 and 7. A whole year in between. So yes, we experienced as live watchers basically two premieres and two finales sort of.
1: All within season 7,
0: right? Exactly. So
1: here's the thing. I'm of two minds of this. As a as a television purist, I hate the idea of the of the broken up last season, right? Part 1 of the season. It, it's a way of getting more premieres and more finales <laughs> into the schedule when you're selling commercial ads, right? So that was clear. Although it's not just for ads, to be honest, because I think Sex and the City on HBO did the exact same thing its last season, if I remember correctly. So, you know, it's kind of a thing. Um, I think m- maybe it's just as much promotion as it is hard, hard revenue. But at the same time, as a fan now, completely removed from that whole bullshit, I like having 14 episodes in the season. That's an extra. Sure, sure. It's an extra hour of show. So, you know, maybe whatever, time goes on. On this episode, Time Zones, as a premiere, I like a lot of what they did, but I'm gonna I'm gonna quibble ever so slightly. What? Yeah, I'm gonna quibble. You? It feels like uh like we'll get to the Ken Cosgrove character shift in a moment. It almost feels like we we have to like put this guy. We have to make this guy fish out of water. We we have to go the other direction with this. He's been too mellow and too too go with the flow too long. They just had to make him a beast in the, for some reason. I don't know why, but it was almost like you know. It's like, it's like in any show where you kind of feel like you've drawn out a storyline as much as possible. You have to go the other way. That felt a little felt a little calculated and it, it, for for Mad Men especially uh, with that. So my little quibble.
0: All right. Well, that's very character-specific, so we can get to that. But sure is. But you say you don't know why, but to me, it's clear why. To me, it's built in to somebody who's been abused and is maimed and is now hardened by the choices he's made despite the fact that it was against his character. So when I say we'll get to it, I'm saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> by, by later, I mean now. We right. got to it. I mean, Ken was... Ken was the one, we've talked about it so many times, Ken was the one who, he was clear what his choices were. I choose family. I choose my life. I choose my my passion of, of writing. Doesn't play the game. I'll yeah. play it as much as there is to play it, but I'm only going to play it as much as I want to play it. And then he sold himself out, and he got, as I said, maimed. He got abused. He got, he got, he, he got in a in a broad stroke way, and I don't mean this... I don't mean this morally, but he kind of got what he asked for. You know, he never, he never said, he used to say no. And then he stopped saying no and look at him now.
1: Time Zones was written by Matthew Weiner, directed by Scott Hornbacher. Original air date was April 13th, 2014. Takes place over January 17th to 20th, 1969. This is the episode, season seven premiere. The agency's moving ahead in Don's absence with Lou Avery running the creative team.
0: That fucking guy.
1: Don visits Megan in L.A. while Ted visits the team in New York. Everyone is adjusting to new roles and relationships. Joan is called in to help with Butler Shoes. Megan is in line for a big role on NBC while she and Don have an awkward reunion in
0: L.A. Womp womp. What I thought was interesting about the episode, or or what I with what I thought worked about the episode, it was a very sweeping, premiere-y premiere.
1: Really? You think
0: that? Yeah. It wasn't earth-shattering, but it definitely brought the gravitas. It brought the music. It brought the, where are we now? Oh, interesting. But with each kind of, we're going to now answer the, where are we now? Each answer was a little depressing. So I think <laughs> well, that's where... It's it it,
1: mad, still Mad Men, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. But I mean, I think... You know, it, it felt almost like the season two premiere, which was like that long. Oh, my where we, God. We had a long gap and they had a long gap. And it was like, do 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 yeah. Except this. And this is what I think is interesting. Say again what the dates of that it took place? January? January? 17th to 20th. Right. It's January. We last left them. It was Thanksgiving.
1: Mm-hmm. It,
0: it's hardly like any this, time. Hardly any time goes by, but but... We're introduced like it's this big reveal and certainly things have changed. Nothing is wonderful, <laughs> but, wow, it, but there's I guess, like some the sweepy music of it. And yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I had the note uh, in terms of it being a premiere that it was the least premiere premiere of them all.
0: That's so funny. My
1: feeling was it was the anti-season two for sure, because it felt most like a mid-season episode where shit kind of happens. You're filling in a few holes they they cover the material in a way that gives you all the information. You're right. It's only been a couple months. But it it gives you the information you need to fill in the gaps without kind of calling it out. It was just very matter-of-fact, the way, oh, Megan now is living in L.A., and Don has to go visit to see his wife, and, and he hasn't told her that he's uh, – that he's been suspended obviously as well like all these things are being filled in but they're not called out or showy or big dramatic uh to-dos about them it felt very very matter-of-fact
0: yeah i that's interesting i think it's both i think i think the the big premieriness of it is in like the packaging as we get to eat as we go scene by scene like i said there's the there's the great music that you know mm-hmm. joan has the music and you know, Don flying to LA and the getting off the, the plane in the uh, graduate homage, you know, when yeah, he's on, the, yeah, uh, yeah. on that, uh, whatever that walking runway, walking sidewalk is actually what that's called. And then coming out of the airport and the sunshine and the Megan and the, like each sort of setup for each scene is very grand. Yeah. I think to your point, the actual exposition. Is more subtle and matter of fact, so I think, I think there's. So. I think that is a tension of this episode.
1: Yeah, that's what grabbed me is that it didn't feel so sweeping, but you know, it could go either way. Speaking of, uh, I forget how you just put it a moment ago, like kind of uh, Gra- gravitas, gravitas and dialogue. Freddie Rumson, I could watch him recite a monologue into the camera for sixty minutes, and I'd be totally happy. Totally, right?
0: Yeah, and <laughs> that also felt. Premiere Because you're kind of like, you're sucked into this, like, what am I looking at? Right, like it it's attention be, grabbing, for yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. the whole but thing. But that could be
1: a mid-season. They would do that in mid-season, I think, without blinking an eye, if if it called for that. Sure. It didn't feel like a premiere. Like, when I think of premiere things, I think of the music when they're coming into SCDP in season four for the first time. You know, like, bump, you know, the big bouncy intro and, like, the big reveal.
0: Joan had that when we first pan on Joan, when we first see Joan okay. in this Okay, coming up the
1: stairs, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that Accutron for, for a moment, man. This is this might be my second or third favorite Freddie Rumson episode. I really do love him here.
0: Right, so we're gonna do a top ten Freddie Rumson episodes. That's super Ooh, specific.
1: Now you're talking I
0: mean, I think there's probably ten.
1: Don't threaten me with a good time. All we have to yeah. do
0: is like Django him up the anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but he's delivering this this really fabulous monologue to to Peggy. That we later find out, by the way, he didn't write, (laughs) which is wonderful.
0: You can really hear it. You can, when you you watch it and you know, you can hear Don's, Don presenting it all over.
1: 100%. 100. But we don't know that.
0: No, we don't. And he even, you can hear that he coached Freddie in how to present it. (laughs) Like in how to say it, how to dramatize it.
1: And these are two guys that, again, backstory, they've known each other forever. So, so, Freddie can interpret Don as well as anybody, you know, including maybe Peggy, uh, if he's called on to 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 literally deliver Don's lines, he's the one
0: I also love who do you call when you've been fired, not fired for being drunk yeah <laughs> like who yeah. do you call like you know it's it's just so beautiful
1: but there's something even I think broader about Freddie's presence here and his presence throughout the the series since six month leave right because the the conventional wisdom both in the contemporary time period and watching it would be that's it Freddie we've seen the last this guy's going to be out trying to set up a, an agency in um, Springfield Massachusetts somewhere and we'll never see him again
0: I know Springfield <laughs> just brought a smile to my face
1: home of basketball but that he he's just he's just you know in Siberia and the fact that he comes back and the fact that he has more depth to him than we ever saw with the AA and the sponsor and the struggle and, the, and that he's made a life for himself as a freelancer is, is fascinating to me. I love that. I love it.
0: I had the thought that he would have disappeared and or settled at another agency, found himself a home and never left it. I don't think he's chosen Freelance. I think Freelance has chosen him. I think he never oh, sure. was able to get yeah, yeah. his foot fully back yeah, in the yeah. door. Right. But in part of his transformation, too, is he, how he speaks to Peggy now. I know. Not that he would ever have been intimidated by her, but he's very kind of he's got that honesty almost like Megan of just like, boom, there's a nice way to say that. There's the way you say it. Like, he, I mean, part of it is he's a little overly defensive, so he's ready to say that. Yes. But also he's just so clear. Right. He's so clear with right.
1: her. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we get that nice big chunk of Freddie in the, in the front of the episode with it. But largely, we, there's this, what is certainly uh, undeniably um y about it is we get the state of the agency. We get the state of Sterling Cooper and partners. We get Lou running a creative meeting, which looks, <laughs> it's the, probably the same meeting he's been running since uh,
0: 1951.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, Yeah, he's just, he's the anti-Don, clearly, and nobody's inspired by him. Nobody's thinking to do their best work. He's just, he's just looking for a tight ship.
0: He's dreadful. Peggy's looking to do her best work. Peggy has still got the same goals. Right, right. And, you know, here we are just a few months after Peggy taking her space in the, in the first pantsuit we've ever seen her wear at the end of season six to, isn't it nice to have decisions? Because here she is working for somebody She's miserable working for. She tried to get away from Don. Hmm. She tried to not get away from Ted. Ted got away from her. They stick her with this guy.
1: It, it's so well. it is. and we've all had these circumstances for sure. It is just soul crushing working for someone that not even doesn't inspire you, but sort of crushes, <laughs> crushes whatever spark you have. How was your weekend? You know, spent it chopping wood. You <laughs> so know, like, yeah. Oh boy.
0: We also get nice flashes of his blatant racism with Don. Like, he just Mm -hmm. enjoys being a dick.
1: Well, that's, listen, I think a 1951 creative session was probably a lot like all those things.
0: (laughs) You didn't pick an angle for Accutron?
1: Was that today? Sure I did. Don, what did I say?
0: Just in time to be on time. That wasn't one of the choices. I think that was a digression.
1: How about Accutron is accurate? That was one of the choices, I'm positive.
0: It's time for a conversation. I think that one's more finished.
1: And I think you're putting me in a position of saying, I don't care what you think. Then there's the L.A. versus New York vibe, right? We've got, we've got Ted flying in from L.A. We see glimpses of Pete out in, <laughs> out in the L.A. office, which is a wonderful little spot.
0: Before we see Pete, we've seen Ted twice Actually, more than twice, but twice at least he's been asked, why aren't you tan? Yeah, and then right. we see Pete tan. Yeah, more than tan. We've never seen Pete smile as much. We've never seen Pete smile.
1: sun-kissed hair. The yeah.
0: entire series, as much as we saw him smile at the diner at uh, Cantor's Deli.
1: And with Bonnie Whiteside. <laughs> um, yeah, Pete's, Pete's like a story... You could just tell Pete's story in the making here. We don't get much of it. We just see that he's taken to L.A. Mr. Manhattan has taken to L.A. I'm sure this story will, will, will move forward. Pete's
0: a vibe. He is a vibe. Now, I have a question.
1: When, I just couldn't quite tell, when Peggy watches Ted, he hugs someone. Is that Moira that he's hugging through the glass uh, wall that, when she's in the conference room and she's watching Ted?
0: Yeah, Probably. Sorry, didn't it didn't notice? I would I would uh think so.
1: Had to have been, right? And I think uh someone alludes to him being with her too as well, some in in, in another meeting.
0: Being with her, with her? What do you mean?
1: With her, with her. No, no,
0: no. That was Clara. You're thinking of Kenny saying what whoever the account guy that Kenny was bitching about, we are bouncy. This is uh attention deficit theater. kenny has an account guy that he was bitching about he refers to him as which i thought was very notable joan suggested the guy you have what's his name whatever the name was and he says well that's one of cutler's guys so there's that division is still there and then he says i hear she's making clara he not not she making clara Clara.
1: daily or something Yeah, yeah
0: daily which i don't care and then joan was like well that's that's juicy but so I think that's right, right. what okay. you're so thinking So I, I
1: misplaced that one. Well, yeah, that is exactly what I'm thinking of.
0: No, because Ted is not, nobody thinks of Ted as somebody who cheats. He, as far as we know, he never had. And there's no reputation. That's a good point. And, you know, Whether he ever or had or not, there's no reputation.
1: No, he doesn't have that reputation. Okay, good. Thank you for straightening that out. But speaking of Kenneth Cosgrove. Oh boy.
0: Which we did already, but Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't love it. I thought it felt just contrived. It felt like how do we make him the 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 bastard that we've never seen? I didn't uh, didn't quite didn't quite take from me. Not that I minded where it went or the whole Butler shoes thing. But that that personality switch was eh.
0: I think it was not well executed. I mean, yes, he was being a bastard. But also, for me, it was just clearly informed by that he's miserable. And so he's taking it out on everybody. It was cartoonish. A, it's hard for it not to appear cartoonish with the patch, but that's not it. I don't, I mean, he's a very good actor. I've seen Iron State in tons of places. Sure. So I don't, know, there was something artificial about it. And I think that's what's yeah, rubbing I, you the I, wrong way. That,
1: that definitely was what rubbing me the wrong way. And, uh, and for me, again, I may have missed some clues along the way, but what would have been true to the character would be to see the nice guy, the level, even Steven guy, deal with the pressures without cracking and the struggle. That would have been more interesting to me. And I think in keeping with the character we've seen. So that brings us to this Joan in Butler's shoes scenario where evidently they're looking to bring the business in-house. And she learns this by taking a meeting for Ken.
0: I think she didn't tell him she was taking. Did she do that again? Has she not learned her lesson? Did you get the impression? No, I think
1: this was clear. I think I think he gave her permission to take the meeting if I remember correctly, regardless, I don't think that's a consequence in the in the within the episode. oh, and by the way, we do get clarity in this episode that Avon isn't that's a Ken, right by
0: the way <laughs> she does stay I there. actually think, and I could be wrong. I think that what happened was he was like cancel it or handle it or whatever, and so it wasn't so much that it was sneaky, but she's standing there while Ken's naming names that won't work, and she's like standing there thinking as Ken is saying this to her and giving her this order and treating her like a secretary. And she's fuming because he's not even considering her. So she goes herself. So I don't think I agree that it isn't quite as sneaky as the original time, but it, but he doesn't know. I don't think Ken knows or cares.
1: Yeah. He was, he was concerned as he was rattling off of the optics of if I go, if Cutler goes, do I send someone else? Then I'm on their level. It's all that. So ultimately Joan goes, let's say with Ken's blessing. And she has to break it to this MBA guy, this new account head, that Ken wasn't taking the meeting. And now this guy, you know, in that kind of not so mildly misogynistic way kind of says, well, you know, guess I'm guess I'm not long for this conversation. Goodbye. But he drops the news that going in-house, that their plan is to go in-house. That's going to reduce, if not cut off, all the business with the agency. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bellwether of being fired.
0: That's right. We've talked about this in the past. I've seen different pharmaceutical companies do this. With Butler, they have one agency, right? Nowadays, you you may have multiple agencies. You might have an agency for this, you you've got your PR agency. Is that all under one umbrella? Maybe, maybe not. But with with Pharma, certainly under one pharmaceutical roof are all these different brands and all these different brand managers and each of them has their own agency. And you're always trying to win over, you know, the beans from the ketchup, right? Yeah. So when you're bringing it in-house, you're firing a lot of agencies.
1: Right. In this case, it's probably more contained, Butler Shoes being probably a modest concern.
0: It's a really more even, almost, swap, where he's saying, we're going to bring it in, and she's saying... Let us fight for it. It's it isn't like there's she's one of twenty agencies saying that and he's like, no, no, it's just no, him correct. versus her kind of us versus them. Yeah,
1: no, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty one to one kind of scenario and ratio. Yeah. She has this meeting with some academic at a university, effectively educates herself. Yeah.
0: She goes out, she she finds this guy, meets with him on a Saturday to educate herself, to get up up to speed to sort of be able to to arm wrestle with Wayne, right?
1: <laughs> there's a transaction here, right? She's also Giving her, I guess they got caught up in some research study that he's doing about commissions versus fees, the right. that ongoing thing. And she educates him; he educates her. But she comes out of it with this wonderful value proposition for the agency to this Wayne that basically puts the fear of God into him. <laughs> like, like, do you want to own this? Your, your 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 share is going down. Do you want to own that? The alternative is to let us be the fall guy. Even if she knows it's still going away over time, she positions the agency in the strongest possible framing. And that that to me is is what she's learned since Avon, where she wasn't able to effectively position and kind of be on her toes and, and give the rap that she needed to give. I think here she's got her feet under her, no pun intended, For For this argument. Oh, shoes. Butler shoes. I was like,
0: what? What was that? There you
1: go. Stay with me. (laughs) You know, this is is a much more cogent argument that she's making.
0: In addition to that she's educated herself, I think she's a lot more comfortable and confident about what she does bring to the table. And she doesn't have that sense of trying to cover up for what she doesn't know. Right. She's just like, here's what I know. I'm going to go learn some shit I don't know. When they first meet in the bar and Wayne is like, this is a bigger conversation. I need Ken. And then he presents what he presents. She's like, oh, this is a bigger conversation. Okay."
1: But you're going to have it with me. That's what she says to herself.
0: Because she figures out how to fix it in advance of it getting to Ken. But she also says to him, and we've heard this before, you know, give me a few days. And then he doesn't.
1: What I love about this, it's, it's turning the TV trope on its head. The TV trope is that when you have an underdog, in this case, a female in the advertising business, they get ahead by like a like an intuition, like an intuitive sense mm-hmm. or a street smarts that like, oh, I might not have an MBA, but I can be scrappy in this way. And a kind of this triumphant moment, you know, in doing that. I think of like think of that the pilot of Cheers where you have Diane Chambers, this fish out of water in the bar, and she overhears this complex, multi-drink, multi-part order from this table. And she's able to like, she has this like amazing ability to remember every detail about the order. And it proves to us and the audience and everyone in the bar that she's a natural born, you know, she's not such a fish out of water. She really has the, the talent, so to speak, to, to be in this environment, right? That's, that's the trope.
0: I don't remember what podcast I was just listening to that talked about the pilot of Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers just showed up on one of the prime or one of them. I don't remember. Yeah. And I haven't gone back and watched it, but some people were talking about how it's still, you know, grant you very dated and very sexist and all that. Of course you expect that and still holds up because it's, because the jokes were so constant, funny and smart. It was always smart. And I didn't ever connect this until you just said that, but I've been on a, West Wing
1: haven't we spin. all? spin
0: well, because they just keep throwing it on. They threw it on over the holidays. And when you DVR all that shit, you're still watching. It's back on Netflix now, too. Yeah. Is it? I thought it was on HBO Max. HBO Max.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. You're yeah, probably, that's what you're happened right, to it. You're
0: right. When Lily Tomlin comes in and is interviewing mm-hmm. with the president and there's lots of back and forth and there's several episodes and it's absolutely all this wonderful stuff. But she has already left and the president goes, wait a minute. Go get her. What's the dollar doing? And she spits it out the way Diane spat it out, you okay. know. And that's yeah, yeah. when he was like, "Yep, her, hire her." Anyway, we like television <laughs> here at They Coined It.
1: Bringing <laughs> bringing it back to to this episode with Joan, you know, with Avon, we would have expected her again to like come out with that great pitch at the at the table and get her get her bearings, but she doesn't, and it 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 was it was a stumble. Here. She clearly doesn't have the street smarts to get out of the situation. She literally has to go to a university professor, ask the questions, take the notes, formulate it, process it and come back with an answer. It's like it's it's turning that trope on its head. It's saying, no, I'm not just some freakish <laughs> savant who's able to, like, you know, smile pretty and twinkle in my eye and get you to see my way because I came up with the right phrase. It was literally rolling up her sleeves and going through the grind to understand what this guy needed to hear. And what he needed to hear ultimately was be afraid. <laughs> she got that and she was able to, to deliver that. But I just, I like how it turned a very common, very madman. You think we're going one way because of how much we've been conditioned and it takes us the other way.
0: It was great. It was great.
1: Yeah. Butler shoes.
0: Butler shoes. It's so good to see you.
1: Sweetheart, being summoned makes me nervous.
0: Everything's wonderful. Can you give us a minute? To the fear of an ambush.
1: To being together. It's worth mentioning here that there's this, (laughs) that Roger is now living in some, I don't know, if there was a commune in a penthouse apartment, I guess that's the way to describe it.
0: It's the nakedest naked, naked Roger. We ever thought we were way more naked Roger than we ever thought we'd see. That was some naked, naked.
1: <laughs> I mean, he just Yeah, that was a naked man up there.
0: That was a telephone away from the full Monty. It was a wild introduction to Roger this season. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the disgusting cigarette, gross, multiple bodies, the, the debauchery, but also the like, then he gets up and he's just like so naked and the hammer is so in the, in his body. It was really interesting.
1: We've literally seen this man have two coronaries. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and this is like some polyamorous uh, hedonistic. Uh,
0: it's not poly. I mean, it's it's just a bunch of orgies, hedonistic. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't you know, credit it with
1: tomato, tomato, Roberto. I wouldn't
0: credit it with polyamory. Yeah, that they're not both the same fruit.
1: He gets this kind of out of the blue call from Margaret, his daughter, so.
0: Was I researching brunch? Was I researching to make sure that people met for brunch in the 60s?
1: Yeah, exactly. I was.
0: It was a little hard to say. I have to say 10:30 has always been early or at least in 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 this bulk of brunching, there was 1900s brunching. I still think it always started at 11. You'd be lucky if you could get brunch at 10. It was an uncommon oh, okay. time for her to have called out, "Hey, let's meet at 10:30."
1: <laughs> we need a separate podcast, I think, a brunch, a brunch podcast? podcast to talk about that. Yeah.
0: Isn't there a Simpson? Is there a Marge Simpson? You know I'm going to find the clip.
1: Meet me tomorrow for brunch. What's brunch? You'd love it. It's not quite breakfast. It's not quite lunch, but it comes with a slice of cantaloupe at the end. You don't get completely what you would at breakfast, but you get a good
0: meal. I don't think so.
1: They go to lunch, and it's this just seems to open the door to whatever's going to happen in season seven between these two. She just gives this kind of new agey kind of vibe about... When all said and done, Dad, I forgive you, <laughs> without this nonspecific forgiveness.
0: She's so awful, because she's...
1: She's ridiculously insufferable.
0: She's pretending she's doing something... Magnanimous. Yeah, and, and... Kind. Spiritual, but of course, he wouldn't understand, but it's just like, I forgive you. And she says it like 10 times, and she's, of course, waiting...
1: <laughs> yeah. For yeah. for
0: him to say, "Well, thank you." And he's like, "Okay, I forgive you too." And she's like, "No, no, no, no. But I, I forgive you." It's just
1: It's super passive aggressive it's, is what it
0: it's, is. <laughs> it's mostly just aggressive, but but she slides by with uh, a little passive ag- Yeah, no, she's just it's it's wildly yeah, awful.
1: It's it's a knife clothed in niceties and and uh new agey bullshit. So yeah, that's that's literally literally all we get. You know, this these two not really getting what they're saying, they're just going to have breakfast and she's evidently forgiving him. Okay, great. Important to note because it took like, you know, 7 minutes of screen time.
0: And he was naked.
1: Not at the brunch. Correct. Found a suit for that. So let's take a break.
0: Let's take a break.
1: And we'll talk about La La Land. <laughs>
0: Well, we have a new character, Julio. (laughs) The kid from downstairs.
1: Julio from the Upper West Side.
0: Peggy is, uh, you know, now the worst super of any building ever. This little kid (laughs) keeps trying to get her to deal with the fact that his mother keeps clogging up the toilet. She does not want to deal with it. It's just an interesting, weird little thing. Not even to your point, but to kind of the way you think. It definitely feels like more set up and... Yeah. Th- than anything else.
1: It's reminding us that Peggy's now the owner of this building by herself. Yeah, and that she's
0: yeah, she's just miserable, and um,
1: and she's taking a tough love strategy to the superintendent role.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's not exactly yeah. wonderful to uh, to Julio. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting. Here she is. I mean, it's actually how old is Julio? Don't know. Around her kids' age. Why? Around. It's 69. I got more
1: like 11.
0: Yeah, he's, you're right.
1: I got that if I had to guess.
0: I think so too. He's more 10, 10, 11 than eight, but just throwing that in there.
1: So it's not her lost son. No, I don't think it's, I didn't, I never,
0: I I wasn't (laughs) suggesting. (laughs) Yes, spoiler, at the end of the series, Peggy finds out that Julio is actually her son and they get a house together.
1: (laughs) Fan fiction.
0: (laughs) Your girl is something.
1: I mean, she's the kind of girl who's going to shine for the network in her callback for the Brackens World pilot.
0: What? Get out of here! I will not. I thought the guy hated me.
1: But his boss loved you. I'll say one thing about this girl: she evokes
0: strong feelings. It took me until the second viewing to be like, that is an airplane bathroom. He's he's shaving in.
1: Oh really? You didn't? Yeah, I didn't catch, didn't catch that, that right away.
0: That is what's going on there. The visual on all of it is like never changed on. <laughs> You know, there's Don with the hobo, you know, 1960 hat.
1: He'll always look incredible, like a New Yorker landing in L.A. And
0: and like a 1950s New Yorker.
1: 50s New Yorker. Which is not
0: who he's, that wasn't Dick Whitman. It's like this permanent disguise.
1: It's the character he plays. Yeah. But let's just remember, it's only a couple months after the Hershey's non-pitch and that he's been suspended. That's still him. He's not like, you know, who is Don now? Don is still that, like, th- th- there's no reason to think Don's not still that guy. You know, we'll get to why I think that's important.
0: I mean, I think we can safely now say that his little mission that you kept referring to as hurtling toward the truth, yeah, that's over. Oh, yeah, that moment's <laughs> passed. <laughs> that was...
1: But he's still that guy. He's still suffering from the things that that guy was suffering from. Of course. He's just not... In that moment anymore. Yeah,
0: he's just back to the suffering and he'll make everybody right. else suffer around him. Here's a fucking TV. We'll get there. <laughs> it's a TV bigger than your whole living room.
1: Yeah, here's a TV. Shove it up your ass. A
0: TV right. for me. Because I don't like watching tiny little Joey Bishop.
1: <laughs> right, right. By the way, you saw the that copy on that little, I don't know if it was like Snow White or Disney oh, or know, whatever. Oh, no, it was like the... Lost
0: Horizon or something. Okay, I think it was last you know, But
1: you saw what they were talking about if you look at the copy. Go ahead. It talks about Utopia.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: Always a Rachel Mankin wow. reference here. I did
0: not get that piece. Yeah. Utopia. I was trying to read it and trying to be interested and trying to trying to be all over a good podcaster and then I just got bored 3 words in. Utopos. Nice. So So yeah, so he lands in LA. The sweeping this this is where it felt very prim- pr- piloty <laughs> y <premier-y. laughs> That dress that Megan was wearing. Looking good. Not just looking good. That had to be one of Janie's best pieces. It's, it's, you can't <laughs> forget it. You don't have to be fashion oriented to never forget it. It is an indelible look. Yeah. We've seen Megan be this mod, glam, sixties look, but this is like the, the full transformation to that. There's no, yeah. There's no backpack. there's no there's no question. This is a whole new and it's just a few months, but it's it's her in LA.
1: It's a hippie chic kind of a thing. It's a little boho.
0: It's not as boho as the apartment ends up being.
1: Yeah, the scarves on the head, that that, that whole look. I'm talking about her in LA in general. And I
0: did notice there was no scarf because the, you know, the women that let look, that L.A. look of the scarf around your head and the big sunglasses, that's because of the convertibles. Don starts to go toward the driver's side as she's picking him up at the airport. And she <laughs> says the seat doesn't move. So now Megan's in the driver's seat. So that's the first of a thousand yeah, cuts yeah, to Don's yeah. fucking fragile white man ego that that's he can't great. drive. But then I just notice I'm like, she should. How do you how do you keep your hair perfect without a scarf? And then later he he gives her one. She's living a great life.
1: And it's it's more of that um, exposition through conflict, right? Because we don't see Megan in L.A. before this. We don't see her acclimating. We don't see her building a life. But we get there and she's got a life. She's got her pad. She's got her, her agent. <laughs> they go to lunch with Alan Silver. Yeah, I want to see more of him. He's great. And her, her career is chugging along. She's going to get this whatever
0: job on NBC. They're very celebrity for the fact that she got called back. Call back. <laughs> Congratulations. NBC called you back for a pilot. Uh, Woohoo! hoo. It's uh, yeah.
1: Good point. Good point.
0: And then the next thing we see is the stumbling home from the celebration of the callback, which again is. is
1: yeah, sure. Maybe right. a
0: little. Alan Silver does say the one thing about I love about her teeth. So, let's hold off on getting your teeth fixed and she immediately puts her hand to her mouth yeah, with the shame of that it's been called out that she's got a little a little lot of teeth and Don is kind of just looking at it like these are the kinds of decisions you're making without me again, that's all exposition but through yeah, conflict of and part of it is we're not getting a lot of exposition we're we're both getting exposition and we're getting like clues as to what just we are not the- knowing, yeah. but it's you know, they never explicitly say that this is his first visit there, but you do. And in fact, oh,
1: you very much. When he walks into
0: the apartment, that. he says, "I like what you did with it," which led me to think he'd been there before, but this was his first visit. No, no, she's showing him the view. Yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah, it must have all been photographs that totally that she emailed. Wait.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Facts. No. Wait. But she's got this life. It doesn't include him. On a day to day, I mean, I think she still feels her that she's married. There's a there's just more than three thousand miles between them at this point.
0: We didn't see her leave. Does she leave that night? Does she she? No, she packs. She you know she she. There's a transition that we don't yeah, there's see. There's a whole process, yeah. And things were very ugly between them. The last we saw, so obviously that's been stifled again or fixed, or something, and we don't know what we're going to see. But when we first see them greet each other, other than that little, uh, I'll drive, things seem, like, lovely, and a little mm. romantic, and a little sweet. But then... Only on the surface. You just, you're left to wonder how things are, and then we get to see through this episode, oh, things are awkward. Night one, she's too drunk to have sex with him. When has that, that has never happened.
1: Never happened. And he doesn't even go into her bed. He sleeps on the couch the whole night.
0: Falls asleep in front of tiny Joey Bishop.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, is he going to be there all night? That's crazy. I mean, you know, that's just crazy. So we know things are off. I think he also sees just the fact that she's got this relationship, you know, as a client of Alan's that they're very familiar. Don's sort of like, who is this guy? It's professional, but at the same time, he's just—I think—he's just that '50s resentful guy of not being a part of every part of her life.
0: Right. Even though everything she said was, you know, I mean, Alan says I've heard all about you were, you know, you're oh, you're a matinee idol, Megan. You were right. So told you. T- yeah, yeah, they've yeah. talked yeah. about it, and so, yeah.
1: But the big thing I f- I keep focusing on is he never told her what happened about Hershey's. That he's no longer working. We don't know
0: that. And so the next morning, so right. So they pass out. She passes out drunk and he passes out in front of the TV. And the next morning, she's up and running. And do you want me to drop you at the office? And we're like, gonk. I see.
1: Yeah, no shit. He
0: is like living another lie. He is right back to, to Dick Whitman. <sighs> yeah. You know, he, yep. it's like yep. he's so comfortable in that, in that chaos.
1: And let's just take a moment. Why wouldn't he? What's the thought process for Don?
0: He just ruined moving to California because he was staying.
1: Oh, there you go. That's it. You put your finger on it.
0: I actually didn't think about it until you just asked me that that's exactly what it was. That's all you need to know. That's the big yeah. excuse that he gives himself, which is understandable. Like He just ruined everything because for, an- for another lie, Mr. Hurdling Toward the Truth.
1: He almost can't tell her at this point, right? Ay, ay, oh, fuck. Last weekend, middle of January, Sunkiss sent us out to the groves, and I picked an orange right off the tree. It's 75. There's snow on the mountains. Ted sat in the car with the door open, writing on a pad.
0: I want to go back to the night before just just for some ambiance and some fan stuff we've talked about before. You cannot, if you weren't there imagine the amount of conjecture that she was going to be killed a la Sharon Stone. Yeah. Uh, Sharon Stone. Sharon Tate. Thank you, Sharon Tate. It would have been your once upon a time in Hollywood. It would have been, you know, we Mm -hmm. didn't know if it was going to be like it or part of it or whatever. And certainly when you get there that night, you see the house and the view and you hear the coyotes and he's like, I don't like you being alone up there. I mean, that really, I almost, I wonder at that point if that was, fan feeding you know fanning the the flames fanning the flames of the fan nonsense
1: i think so very likely but at the same time organic natural didn't feel like it was totally shoehorned in there you know totally so within a day after don's watching this shitty tv with the with the joey bishop he just orders a fucking piece of
0: furniture that's when he go. he spends that day. He meets up with Pete. They go to Cantor's Deli. Yeah. They have that whole reunion. Yeah. Uh, Pete keeps talking to him and like forget. He's like, didn't you hear? I got this client. And he's like, hello, I don't, I, I don't hear these things. <sighs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Not in the loop, pal. And Pete, if it was up to me, I'd yeah. have brought you back. And Don's yeah. look, like it's interesting because <laughs> on the one hand, that might've been true. On the other hand, he was the first one. He was the reason Freddie Rumsen got Freddie Rumson. Right. All those years yeah. ago. He's not very tolerant of the drinking. No,
1: but he's had a Manolo between now and then. It's true. <laughs> he's had some, a little bit of clarifying. One never
0: know, knows where loyalty experiences is. Is born. <laughs> is born. Right. Truly. And then they go to. The, he sees the new office, and it's Saturday. It's an empty office. That's yeah. when we meet. That's when we meet Bonnie, the the realtor, and all that.
1: Bonnie Whiteside.
0: She's she's very terrific.
1: She's Bonnie Backside, very
0: California.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and, and and I guess it's just out there that Pete's Pete's doing her. I mean, that's that's not just inferred. That's like basically
0: shouted. It's neither shouted nor subtle. It's just there. It just doesn't. It's okay. just irrelevant. All right, I think.
1: Well, in the, in the sense that we're meeting her for the first time, we learn that she and Pete are are seeing each other.
0: Did they say it or do we just infer? No. Yeah.
1: We totally infer yeah. it, but it's clear.
0: So now it's the second night. It's Saturday night. It's their last night because we learned that Pete, is, uh, Don is going back Sunday night on the right on the red eyes, right? So this is the last night. They didn't sleep together the night before. Now Don is home from the office, which technically is true because <laughs> he did yeah, see the office. I was there. There's uh, Megan not making spaghetti. Make. Have you seen, have you, coiners, have you... Damn! have you seen like all the like <laughs> megan making spaghetti compilation videos
1: oh yeah, it's yeah so yeah, yeah. Funny. funny there's a yeah.
0: lot of spaghetti happening and
1: it's clear that as a character she doesn't know how to make spaghetti because it's always clumpy and dry and gross and i don't know who taught this, taught this woman how to make spaghetti and
0: it's like the simplest thing in the world to make but and so you kind of are thinking she can't cook but she's tonight she's make coca of which is which is a complicated it's a it's it's Yes, it's French, but it's also probably at this point Julia Child. I don't have my dates right. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're totally right.
0: And she's apologizing for having not put out the night before. Right. She's, you know, fully intending to put out. And then in walks, <laughs> the moon landing of televisions. <laughs> like yeah.
1: Lenny, Lenny and Squiggy with the, with the TV.
0: <laughs> she's so well, pissed.
1: Yeah, this is some, some piece of furniture.
0: That's what the best TVs were, right? Oh, of course. But it's oh, Absolutely. Just to state what was unstated, it's so dominating of him. It's so <laughs> peeing on her.
1: I love what you've done with the place.
0: Yeah. yeah gonna, here's, <laughs> gonna... this,
1: here's something that absolutely... And this is the guy who, you know, moved move the end table to the other side of the couch, Don, who could like, you know, with the great eye. D- d- don't tell me he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> he
0: didn't give one thought about it. He just wanted to... Rule her.
1: Yeah, you know what this modern boho flat needs? <laughs> this this big Dumont of a television.
0: Up until that moment, the decor of this place is definitely, decidedly, boho wasn't a thing yet, right? It's, it definitely is like hip, yeah, hippie. That's what we call it now, right? Yeah. Hippie, hippie shabby. You know the Indian uh, prints and the Mexican I, I blankets pretty, and all yeah. the, all the stuff. But but she's but what you learn when she says what when she addresses why she doesn't want the television, it looks like it's deliberately looking more poor than she is. And you find out that's true.
1: Yeah. I don't want him to know I have this much money. She's trying
0: like, to fit in once again with her poor actor friends, which is yeah,
1: great a point. weird
0: thing that she puts herself through. Seem- Th- that's, seemingly that, over That's and over. who Megan is. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah,
1: for sure. And then they go at it. They start to go at it. And she says she's nervous. And it's a whole... It's awkward. It's like Don and Betty in the... uh in the Pierre for uh, Valentine's Day in 62.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's It really is interesting. They've never had a hard time connecting sexually. I mean, right. you get that impression all the way through when things were going bad that they still fucked. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Megan has said, you know, this is where I know my value is. Just that that is very much like Betty, right? That's maybe yeah, the one yeah. thing she has in common with Betty other than having picked this guy. But she... You can see that she's not comfortable with it. She says, I'm nervous, but she also has decided that this is what I must do. Sure. She's not considering a choice. And, you know, things are much more snugly the next morning, as, yep. as is will always be the case. If you connect well sexually and you're feeling awkward on this end of it, you're going to feel better on that mm-hmm. end of it. So they are. They're snuggly. Yeah. They do the deed. She takes one for the team. And,
1: you know, we don't really see much, I think, that day. He's taking the red eye back. And he meets someone on the flight.
0: <laughs> I've said this about Linda Cardellini. There's no question, Matthew Weiner, and I, I just know because he's my exact age. So I kind of know who my friends, my guys crushed on. Linda Cardellini, mm-hmm. for sure. Nev Campbell had to be another one. Like, Absolutely.
1: Totally. Oh, I I think Nev Campbell was perfect both in name, you know, stature as an actress, but also the look that he gives her. It's she she has the same kind of profile as as uh uh Sylvia.
0: Yeah. Well, he really does have a type other than Betty. Anyone he's been serious about has been a brunette. Y-
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She is wonderful. So he meets Nev Campbell. She's sitting next to him on the plane. She's got, yeah, she's got that. She's certainly got a sad thing going on. We get her story, but she's got a, a sophistication to her and an she immediate does. intelligence to her. Right. An education. She about feels like her, a right. woman, not a girl. Yeah. Yep. She's very exceptionally self possessed for who you might cast as the girl next to you on the plane.
1: In 45 seconds, this character, who we can identify, is teed up as Don's new thing for season seven. I mean, that's cl- I mean, yeah, th- th- that was 100% intentional, but that's all we get. That th- That's not to be because you know, they have this little exchange as they're circling New York or about to land. Another metaphor, you know, she's giving every signal on the planet that she is <laughs> that he's cleared for landing, and he just says, Yeah, no, no, yep. She says I'm available. He says my wife knows I cheat. What a perfect match! <laughs> you know that's the tee up, and he's like, "No, I got to go to work."
0: It's hard to know what gave him the the, the willpower, if you will. I think yeah. I think he's, I think he's exhausted, and I think he knows she 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 would take a toll on him. He would fall in love with her like it would be a whole thing. I think he sees oh, it would that, be, right? Like we see it, but I think he. Instinctively, whether he's thinking that far or he's not, and you, we don't know
1: yeah, I would put it as not thinking that far
0: but this is just some this is no no this is a whole i this is a whole world i don't I don't need
1: well yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a whole world he's seen before. I, I think that he's beginning to recognize his own pattern the way we are. I mean, we expect him to follow through because he's always has and he's done. I, I think this is the beginning. And no, I don't think he totally recognizes it, but it's the beginning of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's definitely, um, she's kind of Sylvia, but she's also available. She's also hungry available. Like that's the other thing is like she- As the kids
1: would say, she's thirsty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Right.
1: Although that's the term she used for her husband, so maybe that's not the the right one to use. Well, that
0: was, yeah, it was a different different version of of thirst. That was the uh, six-month leave kind of thirst.
1: Listen, I like that. I, I didn't. I didn't totally jam on it when it first aired. I really liked it this time. Again, not caring about what would happen, not wondering what's going to happen, but seeing how it happens, and it's a far more nuanced scene and setup and conclusion. Watching how it happens.
0: Yeah. Again, whether whether it's his own sanity he's trying to preserve or. He truly is also trying to keep some semblance of something together for Megan, for for the marriage. That might be accurate. Maybe. Here we are at episode one, looking forward. He knows he's already lying to her about about his job situation. He he knows things are fragile. He's not smart enough to not put a fucking TV into her living room, but he's smart enough to keep this lie from having to happen. I actually think I'm just as I know I'm like double talking about why 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 he said no, but I think what he said is true. Either and, you know you can take it at face value. Like she knows I cheat. This is not a good idea. I have a wife. You know it's just all there. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got less of a vibe about that. It was more about him than about him and Megan. I don't, I didn't get much of a like. I think Megan's in his rear view at this point. Not not the whole marriage, but. He's not like, I don't think he's saying, How do I salvage this? I don't think that's on his mind right now. I could be wrong.
0: Oh, I do. And I actually think because Don is uh, slow to learn and he's given Megan enough, (laughs) he's giving Megan and all the women that there have been enough credit to know that he could get away with cheating on the East Coast and that they always smell it and that Megan will know and he. I think there is a piece of him that does not want to do that to her. He's slow to learn. He still thinks it's the cheating, right? And he doesn't recognize what he's doing by lying to her every day about what he does for a living.
1: Yeah, everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So, Don gets off the plane and goes home to his other true love, Freddie Rumson, and we get this nice little capper, I think, to to the episode of. Um, Don's playing Cyrano de Bergerac for <laughs> Freddie's freelance, uh, freelance clients.
0: I feel like I talked about this very long time ago on this podcast. You ever see the film The Front? Mm-mm. It is a Woody Allen film. No longer my, my fave. But, um, uh, no, The Front was about, it was set during the McCarthy era, during the Blacklist. And it was... One guy going around as the as the, in front of every producer in Hollywood with everybody's scripts, the blacklisted scripts. Oh sure, yeah. He was the most productive <laughs> writer, the most prolific writer because he had everybody's film scripts. But it was Zero Mostel was in it. It was filled with people who had actually been blacklisted. No idea where this film exists today, but um, but it, it always stayed with me. So and it, oh, it just couldn't help but remind me of that.
1: Yeah, that's a huge part of the Blacklist story. Dalton Trumbo, you know, who wrote Roman Holiday, right. won an Oscar for it and couldn't accept it. I mean, it wasn't under his name. There were tons of successful movies post Blacklist that were very successful and were made by blacklisted writers who couldn't, you know, could barely scrape by and earn a living. It's kind of amazing. So yeah, that's steeped in in truth.
0: It's funny. The end of Roman Holiday it just reminded me of what we just talked about. Only in that, it's this whole romance, right? It's this whole like a rom-com, meet cute kind of. I mean, mm-hmm. that's reductive, but you know what I'm saying. And then at the end, they just go bye, and they they just walk away from each other. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like it's, it's like, it, and Neve like Don and Nev Campbell, yeah. kind of like Don
0: and Nev Campbell on a red eye.
1: But um, we find out that that Don's been doing this for Freddie, and so that that brings us back to the top of the episode with the. The Accutron
0: perfect full circle,
1: and he's not just doing it for Sterling Cooper and Partners. He's doing it for other agencies and other stuff that Freddie's involved with. Don's keeping his knife sharp through this.
0: It sheds new light on, <laughs> on his defensiveness about Peggy being like, "No, Freddie, this is so good," and 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 Freddie being defensive about that. Well, because he knows, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he can never write anything this good.
1: I, I I can't draw the tie between these two, but I feel like there's no accident that he goes out to LA and Pete makes a big deal about these sandwiches at Cantor's Deli. And when he and Freddie sit down back in New York, they're eating sandwiches, but I don't know what the, I, I don't I don't know what the Pete Freddie tie is.
0: It's just New York. Pete found this, this kosher or kosher style, this New, New York, York deli. And, yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it, it was a real place. I don't think it exists anymore, but it, I don't think it's a tie to Freddie so much as a tie to, it's just, see, it really is New York. That's what I think. What do I, what do I know? Who knows? But I mean, yeah. Are you ready? Because I want you to pay attention. This is the beginning of something. It's not a bad way to open, (laughs) to open a season. It's great.
1: It's fabulous. It's fabulous. And
0: I loved, also Peggy said, wow, Freddie, that's a home run, which is a clear.
1: Mm -hmm. Home run ballerina. Home run
0: ballerina. So there's, it's a good episode, man.
1: Cantors is still open, by the way. It is not twenty four hours, but it's okay. Still open.
0: Nothing's twenty four hours anymore. It's very depressing. Waffle House
1: is still open twenty four
0: hours. Waffle House. Um, no, that's Pizza House. One more, just random thought about the episode before we go to quotes. Yeah. Peggy comes in on it's Saturday morning when she comes into the office early and she's making coffee and there's Ted. And then she does that whole, Stan, coffee, do you want coffee? Do you want coffee? <laughs> and finally, you know, yeah. Ted backs away and and Stan's like, I don't think this was about coffee. But <laughs> even question. before that, when they first it's spot him lovely. in the office, when you were asking before about the hug, so Stan knows. We didn't know that last season. That might not have existed last season. But this is this is one more Stan knows. Stan knows.
1: Which is so right, because, you know, they've got that phone relationship while she was not working with him, you know, like she, she would tell him everything. It would stand to reason that she would tell him everything.
0: This was big enough and heavy enough and first precious and personal enough and then devastating enough that she might not have shared it. We wouldn't assume, I didn't assume that.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't either. Either, either way. I didn't think about it, but I'm saying it stands to reason that she, she yeah, might no, I just wanted would. to point it yeah. out.
0: All right. Should we. Let's
1: take another break.
0: Do that and then come back with some quotes.
1: Yes we yes we shall.
0: What's your quote, Dan?
1: <laughs> so Alan Silver, Agent to the Star, Megan Draper.
0: The callback queen.
1: The callback queen. <laughs> I forget what the whole exchange was, but he says to you know something something to Don about, like I'm taking good care of her or You've nothing to worry about me. Like, you know, I'm not banging your wife or anything. It
0: was something like, you know, I'm sure you want to meet the man who's spending so much time with your wife. And I just want you to know. Oh, yeah, right. You exactly. know, everything's <laughs> right. fine.
1: So Don's response is <laughs> with that, that great John Ham look on his face, I feel completely at ease. <laughs> you homo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that great
0: John Ham look was also one of not ease. That's what I noticed on, on viewing two this week was, was yeah. Really? He kind of had that John Hamm, that Don Draper condescension, you know, don't even worry about it. Sister kind of look, but on the other hand, you know, Don's not at ease right now. He's not at ease with any of this. I think
1: he's not at ease about the LA, New York situation, the
0: whole thing. And, and, and you can see it on his face when he says it. So it had it had layers, right?
1: <laughs> it had layers. No, I, I I agree with that. But on the face of it, he he really has no problem <laughs> with Alan. Silver. We're
0: good, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I got right, I got ninety nine problems and you ain't one. Yeah, so it's your quote.
0: You know, sometimes I grab them because they're pers- They feel personal. I can relate. Megan says to Don, "You're not here long enough for a fight." If you have ever been in a long distance relationship, and I was, and it was about a a once-a-month weekend, maybe a long weekend about once a month. And you don't want to fight. You want to keep those fights away because fights are big. Fights, fights, unless Mm -hmm. you're really like good at fighting, you might be able to just like fight and move on. But it's it's, a
1: luxury if you don't get that. It really is, because it's a
0: whole thing. It could take, you know, you gotta go all the way in and then figure out how to come all the way back. And it is a luxury. And I I just remember. Doing that, just being like, I'm not going to fight, I can't, we can't. I've got a day, and you know, I've got half a day left. You're not here long enough for a fight. It just, ah, broke my heart.
1: Truthful line, for sure. Holy shit. All right, we're off. Out of the blocks. 13 left to go.
0: A day's work is our next episode. Mm. Nope, no idea. We're done. (laughs) We're done guessing. It's season seven. We're very excited. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for being back. Thanks for coming back. And we'll see you soon.
1: See you later. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com theycoineditpod for bonus content and extras for cool swag. Visit etsy.com shop slash they coined it store, neat looking shirts, hoodies and shot Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple podcasts. Email us questions at they Twitter and Instagram at TCI mad pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lip. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.